0: We can get caught up in needing to have hot sex all the time. And I think it's even important for people to clarify, like, well, what what is your definition of of hot sex? Um, I'm always big on definitions, particularly with couples, because we might not be talking about the same thing, even though we're using the same language. So it's always really important. But what I have found is, like, this pursuit of needing things to be hot and passionate and raw and, like, full-blown like amazingness and if it's not then something's up or like we need to work on it but that just really at the end of the day creates a shitload of pressure that
1: was Susanna Frioni and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette episode 196 welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette that's me the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human Today's episode is our third and final one for this month's theme of dating, sex, and changing the stigma around being single. And oh my God, is this a good one? Before we dive in, I want to take a minute and say thanks seriously so, so much to my Patreon community. As I'm sure you know by now, this podcast is 100% listener funded. That means that we don't have any corporate ads or sponsors. Each episode is funded by small pledges from awesome, regular people just like you who believe in the transformative power of honest conversations and who vote with their dollars to support a one woman owned small business that pays every single person involved in creating this podcast. That includes Adam, my producer and sound engineer, as well as every single one of our guests. If that's something that you want to support, if you love this show and find that it makes you laugh, think, and feel less alone, please come join us over at patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. We would love to have you. Okay, now onto today's honest conversation with Susanna Frioni. Susanna is a podcaster, personal coach, and embodiment teacher who ignites women through erotic empowerment. Her brand is called Love, Sex, Desire, with an audience spanning over 190 countries for whom she produces and hosts a weekly podcast alongside her sacred dance events and her online program called Dance Yourself Free. In this episode, which was a particular recent favorite of mine, Susanna shares the key inflection points on her journey to erotic empowerment. She tells us all about getting married at age 21 and becoming a mother soon after, and she shares stories of all that happened next in her life and career. We talk about all the things that she's done over the years to connect with her erotic essence and energy, everything from pole dancing to meditation. And the honesty and self-awareness with which she shares is super comforting. I particularly loved talking to her about her sacred dance practice, as well as her experience of questioning monogamy and looking more deeply into the links between sex and money in our relationships. This is such a truly wonderful conversation, and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. Just a quick note that this episode and the um, upcoming ones were all recorded in early March, so there is a little bit of a time delay, and as we all know, (laughs) the world has changed quite a bit in those weeks. So if there's anything that's mentioned, whether it's, you know, upcoming events of hers or anything like that, um, of course, always follow up and see if those things are still happening, you know, and some of the context obviously changes as, you know, the world's changing so much with COVID and, and all of that. But all of that starts in just a moment. And as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at realtalkradiopodcast.com. All right, let's do this. Susanna, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Tell me where in the world you are sitting right now. I assume you're sitting, I guess. You could be standing.
0: (laughs) No, I am sitting in my home at Perigian Beach on the Sunshine Coast, Queensland, Australia. Very high on my list of places to visit. Mm, It's beautiful here.
1: Yeah, we were just talking before we started recording of the lovely bird sounds in the background, so I don't know if that will pick up on the audio for everyone else, but it sounds already
0: tranquil where you are. Yes, there's a lot of greenery here, and the birds were just having a little party before, so they might start up again.
1: It's good. I think that podcasts can only be improved by bird parties, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: It takes me back to the movie, The Notebook. If you're a bird, I'm a bird. Yeah, exactly. Right? Uh, (laughs) We're all birds.
1: Everyone, everyone, you, me, all the listeners, we're birds today. It's great. Yes. Um, (laughs) So let's start with a question that I know that you like to ask guests on your Mm. own podcast. What are you exploring personally right now when it comes to love, sex, and desire?
0: Mm. I would say the biggest thing that's really current for me is uh, like money and partnerships so much so that it is actually the next series for my upcoming podcast. And that's because I've been in a relationship for two years and we've been living together for a year and, um, it is the hot topic for us. And I'm really curious with well, there's a couple of things. I understand that the financial aspect of relationships is one of, least in Australia anyway, and I guess this would be general across um, most of the Western world is that financial issues happens to be one of, I think, the top three, top four reasons for why relationships come undone. I would even go as far to say that money seems to be more taboo than sex when it comes to a relationship. We love to have very super, superficial conversations, but not like the real heart meaty conversations. Um, I'm curious about, I think, and it goes beyond, I think what I'm really fascinated is, you know, even how one individual, we can do so much money work on our own. And um, for those women that maybe have a business, you know, you're doing like your, your your money worth and your pricing and your saving and just the structures and whatnot. And then you come into partnership and you somehow have to bring all of those skills into that. But there's so many invisible scripts um, or there's, it's very easy to maybe to fall into default patterns, particularly if you then add children into the mix. Um, I mean, I'm already a mum, but this is something, you know, I'm noticing just with my own clients and in the climate of sort of what's coming to play. Um, but yeah, I'm really fascinated about how couples set their finances up together in a way that's incredibly powerful and optimizes, um, you know, their wealth creation and creating a rich life, whatever that is for them. I'm interested in the power dynamics that it sets up. Um, particularly if there's a huge disparities between like their incomes and their assets or their net worth, um, I'm interested in then, you know, who gets to make the decisions because You're a partner, you know. You are in partnership, and you both have a role to play in that. But, you know, you kind of need to be taking turns at leading and and following. And this is like really basic things, like whose career takes priority here. If we're to move here, then how does how how do we take care of someone who's maybe going to be sacrificing things on their end? And um, so it's a like for me, I'm like, whoa, it's a big topic, and I'm really curious just to un. pack it all and share it with everyone as I'm learning all the ins and outs of it.
1: I mean, I'm gonna be the first one in line to listen to those episodes on your podcast. Because <laughs> I, I joke about this, that like sex and money are my two favorite things to talk about. <laughs> they come up a lot on the show and um, just a lot in my personal life too. And I feel like what you're speaking to, just this like curiosity of how other people do their lives, how they do their money, how they do it in relationships, in family, right? I mean, even I'm curious too with like finances and friendships and there's just so much in there that I love when people are willing to be honest about that kind of stuff and particularly your point of it's not just about like the numbers necessarily, but yet, like you said, whose career takes priority, right? Like how are you making those decisions and like who's sacrificing what and why and... Oh yeah,
0: that's oh, such a things. good and how, one. And how do we move beyond just valuing dollar and cents? Where's where's where do we appreciate and value all the invisible labor and work that does tend to usually, by default, fall on women, particularly once children come into the equation? Um, where where do we value those like non-monetary contributions to relationship when we start discussing finances? Does it always have to be tit for tat? How does that then create resentment? Um, how does that impact people's freedoms? Like I'm so fascinated (laughs) because they're the conversations no one's really having, but, and maybe because I work in the field of embodiment, women are like, something's off. What is this?
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Well, so I'm curious because you mentioned that you're, you know,
1: kind of digging into this within your own current relationship, when it comes to money and partnership, what do you feel like you're doing differently now than perhaps in past relationships?
0: It's been 10 years since I got married really young. I was 21 when I got married and I entered that relationship when I was 18 and then I was um, divorced at, at 25. And there's a good seven or eight years where I literally went from you know, being the care of my folks to going straight into a committed, serious relationship. And when I reflect on that, it was a really default mentality. There wasn't any, my whole life was sort of on default. There was no real examining of the choices and the ways of doing things. It was just, we come together and well, I'm going to be the mum. So I guess I stay home and take care of the kids and you go off to work and we just pool everything together. And Um, you know, if we're not making ends meet, then I need to get more work. And we just do it all together. And then of course, when you go through a, a divorce and then you have to sort out all your stuff. And at that, at that time we didn't really have anything. So it was really, it was a simple separation in terms of that, because that can be really messy for people who have a lot to untangle but of course we had a child involved. So there was a little bit more to it in terms of um, how do we actually care for this child financially? And again, we just went with the motions for about six years until we reached um, a conflict, which meant I actually moved out of the city that we'd agreed to move in at a time when I just hit like another burnout. I had a friend pass away and I was like, Oh my God, I'm trying to get my business off the ground and I'm working and I'm teaching and I'm like really struggling. And why the hell am I trying so hard to do this all on my own? I just need to reset and again, examine <laughs> what did I actually sign up for that I didn't realize I was maybe signing up for. But essentially I, I fell to, I was going to say like pray <laughs> or I succumbed to the notion of in order to have it all, I must do it all on my own. doing like a little Mm -hmm. cross there with my fingers. And I'm sure a lot of women might be able to relate. And it was at that time when, you know, lawyers got involved and we really had to assess, hang on, I've been living under some kind of illusion of this 50-50, but now that I'm actually having to put numbers to things, oh, my God, this has been a lie for how long? (laughs) no wonder I feel like I'm doing more than my fair share. And so that was an opportunity where I got really like, it was just this, I mean, what you don't know, you don't know. But that was the awakening point for me and had me dig deeper, particularly around money, particularly around the value of motherhood and then partnerships. And whilst I had a couple of serious relationships in between them, they were never so serious that we actually thought of merging our lives together. So it was still very much, you know, you're kind of separate over there and I'm separate over here. And therefore money wasn't too big of a topic. And now here I am in this, you know, a serious relationship where we've merged lives. What I would say I'm doing differently is that well, one, there's just, an awareness. There's an awareness in particular of what I don't want. Um, and I'm still in the process of gaining clarity of what I do want. And I'm finding that personally really difficult because no one fucking talks about this stuff Mm -hmm. (laughs) and no one talks about it to, um, like with such great detail and nuance. And I'm in a unique position where my partner has a significant, higher net worth than I do. So there's a big disparity there. And whilst it's nice to be really general of like, you know, I take care of this and you take care of that and yada, yada. For me, all I know is that my body has just been like, it's not wobbly, but I'm like, there's contractions here. And I've learned like, for me, our bodies are a vessel of truth. Your body always speaks the truth. And this is why embodiment is so important and understanding that language of sensation, because that's a sign that you need to pay attention. You might not have all the answers, you might not have all the solutions, there might not be clarity, but something is saying, hey, you need to pay attention and you need to lean in and you need to do the inquiry and you need to do some unpacking here so you do have the clarity on what you want.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm interested because you've said a couple
1: times, like this is the type of
0: stuff that people
1: in general don't talk about. Are you talking about it? Like with people in your life, do you feel like that, you know, you have friends where you're sitting down being like, let's talk about money and partnership or, you know, sex or any of these things. Like I- I'm always curious kind of what people's behind the scenes, like what they're craving as far as these types of conversations go.
0: Yeah. I feel so fortunate to have a really beautiful circle of friends I think when you first go into business for yourself and you start surrounding yourself with those like-minded people, it's important that the money conversations come up, but you more generally talk about it from the, you know, like, what do you charge for this? What do you charge for that? And how much money are you making? And, you know, what kind of expenses are you paying? So we kind of, it's, it's very general. Up until now, it's never really been about, so how do you guys do Mm -hmm. your money, right? Who pays for what? Now that there's children involved, like what's happening for you guys over there. So there's never really been those conversations until recently, personally for me. Yeah.
1: And that's always an interesting evolution too of, you know, I have friends with whom I can have honest conversations, but maybe it's a topic we've never talked about. And just kind of the, I know you used the word wobbly before, like just the little wobbles of getting into that type of stuff. And I feel the same, like grateful and fortunate that I have people to do that kind of conversation with. But honestly, that was, you know, if I go back in time, you know, five years, that was really the birth of this podcast was I want to talk about everything. Like really. I want to talk about stuff in a lot more detail and, you know, have people, who can say like, this is what's true for me. It doesn't mean that that's going to work for everyone because, you know, even with this like money and partnership, you could find, you know, a bunch of different families that do it a bunch of different ways and they're all totally happy with how they do it. Right. There's no like one prescription. And so I find it really helpful when people are saying, Hey, this is what we're doing and here's, you know, how that's going.
0: Yes. And I think, you know, and I also speak of the nuances, what I find even with people talking about how they do it. Because money and sex are also related and I hear this particularly I think with the really ambitious women where it seems to be like it's a milestone when they can quote-unquote retire their husbands and then their husbands are now free to pursue whatever it might be or maybe they join the business. But I can tell you now after like either it comes out eventually but one of the big challenges they then have to go through is the, the erotic energy or the sex lives that may be impacted as a result of potentially maybe the woman earning more, um, because it starts to bump up against our own, like really ingrained beliefs of well what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? And again, it's just this invitation to do this deep, inquiry. So it's not enough for me that, you know, people might be making great money and they're supporting each other. I'm also wanting to go, please tell me you have a fucking amazing sex life as well because
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, same. So definitely. I'm interested in that when you said that you feel like money and sex are linked. Can you like, I guess, kind of drill down a little bit into, you know, maybe examples from your own life of like where you think that that's true?
0: Well, when I mean by money and sex being linked, it is more you know, they say sex is power, money is power. So therefore there's this little, I'm doing like a little triangle with my hands here, you know, power, sex, and money. It is interconnected. Um, there was a book I reading that shared, you know, whoever holds the gold makes all the rules. And, you know, as a child personally, I mean, we get that. Well, I, I definitely had that where it's like, ugh, You know, if, if I want to do something, my parents have a great say in what I can, I can't do because they're funding it. And so, you know, when that starts to play in, if a woman's, and I mean, we can even go back in history as well, you know, it's only, um, it's not too long ago that women (laughs) were considered somebody's property to now suddenly owning property and having, um, a new level of freedom to make decisions for themselves and are no longer quote unquote, like stuck in situations that they know want to, but that's really interwoven with, um, a woman's financial independence. And so personally, what I find really interesting is that if you are sexually integrated, that doesn't necessarily translate into having your finances be amazing, or even being powerful in your finance financial life. Even though I understand that might be contrary to maybe people who study the um, energy centers, like the chakras, and money is usually connected to our sacral chakra, same as our sex. And I do it like I'm pulling a face here, you can't see that, but I'm like, ah, oh, I sit in this interesting tension of I know lots of sexually empowered embodied women that still don't have their money stuff sorted, or maybe they do, but once they step into a relationship, something funky starts to happen. They feel incredibly powerless. And personally for me, I just recently learned after, you know, going to a retreat that money and it's actually my heart. It's money and love for me. And so again, I don't have any definite answers. It's more of huh, this is really interesting. Let me explore here. Yeah,
1: even just this topic that you're bringing up is making me reflect on kind of my own current relationship and past relationships of thinking, huh, you know, even when you said um, that, you know, your current partner like that th- there's a big like net worth discrepancy there like I'm thinking okay in relationships where like I was the higher earner or they were or if finances were combined or they weren't like I'm just kind of like in my head bouncing around looking for threads of interesting like how that relates to sex right and I think that sometimes it's easy to see patterns or to like assume patterns in retrospect but I definitely think that you're onto something that there there of course is some kind of link there yes so you took us back in time a little bit. Um, you know, you said getting married at 21. And I would love to go back even earlier than that. I read something um, on your website. <laughs> you said when you were about seven years old that one of your friends told you that you were going to be a stripper when you grew up, which makes me think that some kind of sexuality, sexual embodiment, something was happening. I'm, I'm really curious to hear that story. What do you think Like, made your friend say that? Who were you at seven years old? Tell me.
0: Yeah, I actually shared a clip on my Instagram of the video where that happens because um, my brother was recording this and I was in the backyard and one of our favourite childhood things to do was we would crank the music up in the backyard and we would have, um, we would push the slippery slide backwards up against the trampoline so we could kind of run up the slide and then jump off onto the trampoline. And we would like just sing and dance and carry on And this one song comes on and I just start dancing. And I mean, the look in my eye, like, I mean, I recognize it even now and I'm like, damn, like it was just in me. I could really like feel the music. It was my place of ecstasy. And then you just hear my friend in the background just start laughing, saying, you're going to be a grump stripper when you grow up. (laughs) And you know, back then I didn't really know what that was and I don't remember much else about that particular time, but like, I remember that moment. Dancing was an access point for me to experiencing what I would just call ecstatic joy.
1: Yeah. Access points to ecstatic joy. Are there any others you feel that are really prevalent for you other than dancing? Sex.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Dance and sex are the two for me. And of course, um, even just like a meditation, like the stillness, anything that can really drop me back in to like my true essence, the core of me. And I find, you know, the more present I can be, the more able I am to access that ecstatic joy in the most simple, simple situations.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm always interested, especially with people like you who are so open about talking about this kind of stuff now and seem, you know, you've used the word embodied a couple of times, right? Like seem really in their bodies, really comfortable, you know, talking about and experiencing this type of stuff, sort of what the, like pulling the thread backwards, right? Like the, I don't know, like sexuality origin story like is too, that's not like quite what I mean, but, you know, so from like seven years old to now, like I'd be interested to hear in potentially like a couple of inflection points, like things where whether it was like awakening moments or realizations, especially with getting married on the younger side, um, anything that you want to share about sort of what that like arc was like would be really interesting.
0: Yeah. I always felt quite connected to my body. When I think of, you know, my first sexual experience, I was 17 it was a very intentional choice. The music playing was Enigma. <laughs> um, like the whole album, for those that don't know Enigma, I mean, it's it's quite spiritual music.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, that's a choice for 17 years old, yes. <laughs> right, like it's, you know. That's like not what I, I was doing look- when I was 17, let me tell you
0: that. <laughs> no, so, you know, when I look back at kind of these little things, I'm like, God. Like, I mean, I used to listen to that album to put me to sleep. So I always felt kind of really connected, like, you know, spiritually, sexually, all of that. Uh, as, you know, I then moved to the city. So I grew up in a small country town with like a thousand people. My Both of my parents are actually from Uruguay in South America. So they were I- immigrants, probably the only foreigners in town Uh, moving to Brisbane, like the big city for university, was a huge culture shock. And I had a lot of fun because it meant a lot of freedom and suddenly no one knows you anymore (laughs) in this big world. And that means not everyone's, you know, watching over you 24-7. There was this freedom to explore myself, but I always felt very, I seemed to have this mentality of is someone worth my time? That was always running through the back of my mind. And I seem to have always read that erotic energy very, very easily. It wasn't something I was taught. It was just, I, I'm in tune here. And I would say the next big defining moment was when I was, uh, it could be 19 or 20. And this is when um, I'm living in a complex with uh, my, my brother. And within that complex, I'm really intrigued by this particular woman who's hanging out at the the pool, which was the all the apartments were centred around the pool. It was the focal point. And she, I just remember she was covered in tattoos <laughs> and she was wearing like a thong by the pool. So it kind of like broke all the rules that I knew of what it meant to be like you know, the good girl or to be respectable or to be taken seriously. So I was naturally intrigued and turned out she was an American stripper who was dating one of the American imports that were here for basketball. And we ended up becoming great friends. There was another girl there, the three of us, and we went out one night and um, we happened to on the way home stumble into a strip club. It was the first time I stepped foot in a strip club and Watch her dance. She managed to get up on the stage, and because of who she was, it was quite easy. Because that's really unheard of. You can't just walk in and ask to dance on the stage when you've got girls there working. And something about watching her like did something to me. At that time, I was a group fitness instructor, but. I was not in my body the way that she was in her body. Like she just embodied something that was really invisible and yet so tangible to everybody in that room. I remember that feeling of I want that. Like I thought I was already confident, but that, what like what is that you've got going on? And that then started my quest into pole dancing. And she would, um, at that stage, I was working at a um, Lorna James. So she's a big Australian fashion designer here that does active wear. And she'd launched her first gym here in Brisbane. And I was helping open the second one. And uh, my friend was teaching pole dancing there. So we'd go in and, you know, she'd teach me whatever she could And I became really fascinated with, it was less about the pole and the tricks. It was more this, what is this essence that you are embodying that is literally like just oozing out of every cell in your body when you move? And we were going to open a pole dancing studio together so much. So like I flew to Sydney and I did some research. There was one open there back then, like pole dancing was still very, 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 very new. Uh, This would have been at least, you know, 15 years ago. And what ended up happening is it was like that fork in the road. I ended up getting married and I had a child. And so all those dreams were kind of just put on hold, but I still bought myself a pole because I was like, this is going to be one way I want to quote unquote, stay fit. (laughs) But the real truth under that was, I just wanted to access this, this thing. And I, I didn't know what it was, but I knew it was something I didn't yet have. And that I would say, you know, I mean, it's huge because as the story continues, you know, every now and then I would, I would poll. It was a thing that would make me feel like really sexy and in my body. And I was accessing something. I tried going to a few different studios, but all I kept teaching was like these basic routines, um, choreographed routines around a poll. And I learned very quickly. That's not it. No, teach me like to be in my body and access this thing. I'm not interested in just mimicking a routine or putting on a performance, Um, or being um, in sync with all the other girls. wasn't it at all. And then I guess the next real big catalyst was, you know, at 25, my daughter would have been around four, is where I hit my own rock bottom. And I'm guided to go to Vipassana, which is a 10-day meditation retreat. And something about that moment literally we rewires everything in my body that when I return home within two weeks I I leave the fitness world. I'm just like, I'm, it's complete. It's time to go. And, um, my marriage ends again. It was, it's complete. It's time to go. And I fall in love with a woman. So there was sort of this thing around the desire to explore my sexuality, always hovering in the background, but I'd never envisioned or imagined that it would be an actual relationship. And as I was already a mum, that I'd raise my, you know, child with a woman. I, my mind couldn't quite comprehend that, but here I was, like, but here I am in in love with a woman and accessing, whoa, like my body and my pleasure, mind. Ending. So those were like two very, I mean, I gave you three there, <laughs> the Enigma story, the the pole dancer, and um, then the sexual awakening that was also a spiritual awakening through Vipassana falling in love with a woman, but they're all very defining moments.
1: Yeah, I can imagine what you were describing about um, when you were watching your friend dance, that feeling of like, you know, she's in her body in a way that, you know, maybe I've never been, or like that there's something that's so like attractive and mesmerizing about that. And like even as you're talking, I'm like drawn to it because like that exact thing where it's hard to describe, but you know when you're in the presence of someone who is that and it's it's I'm someone who likes to pay attention to like um jealousy like when jealousy pings for me of like oh i i want that or envy right something in that mm. and i have in the last couple of years it's very much related to what you just described like being around women who just feel like very in their bodies that kind of like erotic energy or not even necessarily erotic but there's just that like it's very sexy it's very powerful there's like something about that and I can never like put my finger on what it is but every time I'm around it I'm like but how though like I want that
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I
1: relate to that so much
0: yeah and it is it purely comes down to this really intimate connection with your body and your own desire that's it
1: yeah. I mean, it's funny, right? It's like, that's it. And also, you know, question mark, question mark. Like, I feel like that's the kind of thing that it sounds like it makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm interested for you since you were able to identify like, oh, this is something that I want to experience more of. And obviously you shared, you know, she was teaching you stuff, you know, you were dancing, but is there anything else specific that you can think of that helped you to like access and embody more of that energy for yourself?
0: Yeah, like the was it is like the foundation for many things because it was there I learned how to fully relax which is key because we're addicted to our stress and our tensions. Their habitual tensions, um, and they manifest as a result of you know several things. Whether it's like you like to stay busy, or you like to stay on top of your game, or um, you know maybe you're reactive in how you respond to certain things, or you repress your emotions. Like there are a variety of behavioral strategies that we do that create a lot of tension in our body, and we just get like tighter and tighter and tighter and tenser and tenser and tenser, and we become so rigid physically, emotionally, and mentally. Part of the Vipassana technique was the just letting that go, releasing part of those contractions. And they're not, it's not a pleasant experience. (laughs) In some cases, it can be really painful. But what starts to happen in that softening, in that releasing, in that opening is that you start to access more of what is happening in the here and now, because we're in communication with everything around us. Like everything is just energy and we're in relationship with that energy, whether we like it or not. And so when you're able to feel more, then you're able to understand what I call the language of sensation which means in the moment you are able to respond to it more accurately instead of kind of always living based on what was happened or what was happening. You are just really, really present. And it is through this deep presence that I describe it as it's like being so intimate with every part of your being and everything around you that You're no longer up in your head of like, is this what it's meant to be like? Am I doing it right? Does it look good? It's not about that. It is just this pure expression of what is happening within you and around you. Did you have a meditation
1: practice prior to going on that 10 day silent retreat? Because I feel like that's a pretty like a 10 day retreat. That's pretty intense, right? Yes.
0: No, not at all. Uh, You have to imagine like I was the gym junkie teaching a significant amount of hardcore cardio group exercises who looked down upon even just a yoga class of what is that over there. So this was radical for me. And sometimes you need to do something radical, particularly when. You feel like you're doing all the right things. In this case, you know, I was I was relatively fit. I was reading all the amazing self-help books, but there was just a misery that was literally suffocating me. And this is where, I go, like, the body doesn't lie. And so Vipassana was more of an escape from my life, just to remove myself from a situation I was really familiar with and put myself somewhere new. I didn't go, with, go there with the intention of learning a skill or like I even reflect back when it first started and I had this moment of like, oh, this is, this is a course. This is a 10-day course. I'm here to learn things. I was so, that was not why I was there. It was this pure, I'm pulled to be here. Um, and, I mean, all you're doing is observing your breath and the physical sensations for in your body for like 10 hours a day, 10 days in a row. So talk about intimacy.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm interested to hear what happened for you on that retreat. Like, were there any like particular moments or things where, cause it sounds like you went home and in very quick time frame changed your whole life, right? Like that's, that sounds yeah. like a pretty dramatic turnaround. And I guess why? Like what happened that let that then be possible?
0: Well, whilst I was there, I definitely did like the mental rearrange, I call it like when you rearrange the furniture on the Titanic but the Titanic's sinking anyway. So, there was a lot of that of just mentally figuring out things if I if I changed my work schedule, if I could be home with my kids more, if I did this and if I did that, like, then yeah, life will be good. And yeah, I got married for a reason and I've had kids for a reason. Like, you know, I have to lay in my own bed. Like I made these choices for a reason and I'm going to like commit and follow through with that. But I, and before I go and sort of like how, like what unfolded, then the other thing, my roommate was the girl I ended up falling in love with.
1: Your roommate on the retreat.
0: My roommate on the retreat. Yeah. (laughs) Why not? So, um, you know, I had a moment of, um, one, resenting her from the moment I saw her because she was so happy and it just made me, I mean, I was so depressed. When you see other happy people, it's like, like, shut up. (laughs) That's how, I mean, for me, red flag. Like, you've gone too far one way. Um, and then I found out she was my roommate and I thought, oh my God, this is ridiculous. Like you put me with really the only other young girl there, because again, we're going back at least 10 years. I know Vipassana is really popular these days, but back then I applied to go to this retreat maybe three weeks before it happened. Now I think you have to wait six to nine months if you want to get in uh, particularly at the one that I went to. And yeah, so the only other young girl here who happens to be gay, like I came here for no distractions, are because they segregate the men and women. But what the fuck is happening? <laughs> and so there was this natural just an inquisitiveness that um you know, we I mean it was it was so intense there was no denying the kind of connection uh, we can't talk although eventually you know we did break some of those rules a few days in but there was something happening there between us and even still in my mind it was this is just a moment in time I could not be any clearer that I want to commit to my marriage and I want to make this work and yada 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 however (laughs) This is the thing about trying to make big decisions when you aren't actually in the moment of needing to make that decision. When I returned back into my everyday life, you have to imagine I'm now stripped of all these tensions. I'm stripped of all the the constrictions in my body and a lot of habits have just melted away with that. And of course, a lot of thought forms and a lot of old emotions and all of that, I feel like I've been skinned alive. So I'm super fresh and I'm hypersensitive to everything. And it was another way to describe it is suddenly your intuition is like on full ball volume and the inner critic or any other voice that you'd usually have that counteracts or overrides that voice is like, you can't even hear it anymore. And so as I would step into these environments like when I went into the workplace for the first time after not being there for 10 days and that voice says it's time and your whole body just I mean you're covered in goosebumps like you know I mean you're not even thinking do I still need to be here it's such a visual experience it's I can't ignore that I don't know what's next and I'm kind of scared if I start to think about it too much but step one needs to be taken and then that's what it was like with you know, my marriage, um, a conversation came up and for me, it was the voice of it's time. And what's funny is like, we both knew we both knew, but we were both clinging on so hard to what was one because we had children. So, but again, I can't deny this and I need to keep trusting this. And then there was, you know, obviously the woman who I had this connection with at, Vipassana and she's you know on the scene and I'm you know interacting with her outside of that bubble and oh it's just easy and it's it's like a homecoming for me so it wasn't like these it wasn't any until you know intellect being they that my mind wasn't informing my decisions there was just this hmm. complete trust of this body and just moving with it without
1: interrupting it. I mean, that mental image that you shared before about like the rearranging the furniture on the Titanic, like, I wrote that down right away. I'm like, mm-hmm, yep, yeah, yeah, I definitely mm-hmm. know what that's like. Like it's, and you, I mean, you can be the best furniture designer in the world and that ship is still going down.
0: Still going down. Yes. Yeah.
1: And that sort of energy around, you know, this thing is complete, it's time to go. I feel like that's something that's not talked about enough. Like it's, it's one thing to you know, like rage quit a job or, you know, things are really bad. So you have to leave, right? That type of stuff. But sort of almost that quiet, like the heat has gone out of this, like that it's complete. It's time for this to be over. And the couple of times in my life that I have really felt that were so comforting because I feel like it always came on the heels of a lot of the furniture rearranging and a lot of the trying to think my way to the best solution. And it was always just, you know, I can't, think it I can't create it out of my brain like when it's complete it's just complete and then I know and it uh it just feels you know it's like a relief
0: I like that you speak to the calmness of it because that's exactly how I felt I just remember being in you know the heat of the moment because it doesn't necessarily mean the other person's going to be you know they're not in the same position as you in that moment purely because you process so much already Mm-hmm. But I remember just feeling so, it was like the roots were extended from my feet and so in the ground, there was a calm, it was coming from like the deepest truth within me. There was no rage, there was no anger, no resentment, like none of that. And I could still stand firm in my truth whilst being with someone else in their truth and be unwavering in my own at the same time which can be a really challenging place, particularly when someone is maybe not having a really great experience with, um, you know, what is your truth or what is your decision? But there is something really powerful when you can make decisions from that beautiful place.
1: Yeah. And I also think something that I have learned personally, and I'm interested if this was your experience as well, that just because there is that calm feeling, right. Or that peace or that clarity it might make things simple, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're easy. I think, like, for a long time, mm. I operated under this, like, misconception that you, you know, you get to the place where it's, like, not painful anymore, and then you take the action. Or, like, I'm thinking, like, for me, uh with my divorce, which was quite a bit more recent, um it sounds like, than yours, and there was definitely that you know, it's complete, it's time for this version of this to be over. And, you know, luckily that was quite a mutual decision and that I felt very sure of that and like incredibly sad and incredibly heartbroken. And that that was one of a couple of similar learning lessons for me throughout my life of, like the both and that both can be true at the same time. It's not like either this is complete or I'm really torn up about it. Right. It's like, this can be, it can be time to move on from whatever the thing is, whether it's a job or, you know, a, a marriage or a different kind of relationship or, you know, an activity or just a place that you're living anything. Right. Like it can be time. And also that can still feel like excruciating to do.
0: Hmm. Yes.
1: And, you know, that was, that was helpful for me that it's like, oh, both those things can be true. You know, you don't have to wait for it to be easy in order to, to do something
0: differently. No, not at all. So what did you do next? Yeah. So I took six months off and that was just like a restoration phase of, I need to feel like myself again. And who am I when I'm not the wife? And I'm not the group fitness teacher and I'm not the soccer mom. Uh, I have no idea who I am. And those six months were purely, I just want to have fun and I need to open my eyes. And so that was what was really beautiful about that relationship because my world was being blown open. And I was, I guess you could say like rediscovering myself like, what do I like? What don't I like? I'm talking really simple things. Like I've never tried sushi before. Let me see if I like sushi or I've never been to the theater before. Let me see if I like theater, really basic things. And when it came to my career though, I remember kind of nudging close to the end of the six months going, all right, it's time to start working again. And I had sworn I would never, ever teach again. Like I was really done with the group fitness world. I had done it for eight years. I have taught like over 3000 classes. Like I was really complete and, uh, I had a degree in marketing and business. And so I thought, well, you know, let's actually finally do something with this degree. And I went to pursue a career in like digital marketing And then something in me just said, you're literally just getting on a different merry-go-round. You know where this path is going to end. And on the other flip side, yoga kept calling me, which again felt really radical because I didn't understand yoga. I actually dissed yoga when I was a grip fitness teacher. I, I had no idea really what it was, the idea of like teaching yoga. Hell no, not me. And all I knew was I have no idea what it looks like. If I go and do that teacher training, That something in me is telling me to go do. And so I chose, I chose the thing that I knew, uh, that I did not know how would end. Like for me, I'm like, now this is what it means to be expanding beyond your own comfort zone. This is what it means to be, you know, a pioneer of your future because if you don't know the story, then that's when you know you're really stepping out into new terrain. And that was my marker for that. And so I did my yoga teacher training and within um, six weeks, I'd made the decision like, I'm going to teach like I am a teacher. (laughs) There's no, it was kind of one of those moments when you try to deny who you actually are at your core. It was Mm -hmm. one of those moments and I couldn't help but teach. And because I already had a background of group fitness and because I had done Vipassana, which was so informative for me, particularly, uh, simple things about the awareness of breath and energy, It was very easy for me to move into yoga teaching really quickly. And I absolutely loved it. For me, it was an opportunity to teach very differently. So, as a group fitness teacher, I was learning choreographed classes and um, to music, and then just like delivering that to classes. So, it wasn't my creativity. I wasn't curating the music and I wasn't curating the moves or the sequencing. I just had to learn that and train in that and then deliver it. In yoga, I wouldn't use music and I had full creative freedom in curating a class and delivering a class. So different skill sets started to be um, like practice over here until I reached a point where uh, I'm kind of also done with yoga that was about four years in and I should say the other thing I did during that time those four years was something that intrigued me in the fitness world was how is it that people are achieving incredible results and in transforming like you know, their bodies and their minds but it doesn't last how is it that they revert back very quickly to old patterns and habits when they're, you know, not part of, um, don't have the one-on-one training or aren't part of the group doing a particular challenge? Like, What is that? What, why is change not sustainable? And what works for one person? How come it's not working for another person? And that led me to go do a life coach training that specialized in the Enneagram and the Enneagram is, um, on one level, it can be called like a typology system for one's personality, but its roots are very spiritual. And so it was one of the things I was actually using in my workplace to understand like me better as an employee and how I could show up better and we could all work better as a team. Um, but the coaching was actually called deep coaching. And it's at the deep coaching Institute based in the U S and it just had my name all over it. I'm like, hell yes. And that was a year long training. And I loved it because they were using this particular framework or this tool through the lens of a presence-based approach to creating sustainable change. And I was like, hell yeah, this is like my yoga and my meditation and my um, interest in like consciousness all merging together. I'm like, hell yeah, I've hit the jackpot. And so I did. I started um, life coaching simultaneously towards the end of, you know, teaching yoga. Um, But like I said, I hit this point where, you know, yoga, I'm starting to get bored. And that's something I have to watch out for. I thought it was something I needed to like, override or work through as a way of going deeper with something. But now I just trust it for me. It's how I'm wired. It's a clear sign that I'm ready for more. And I was given an opportunity to teach. The request was for like a yoga rave at my friend's wellness retreat that she was hosting. She used to do my yoga classes and uh, I was like, hell no. I'm not interested in doing a yoga rave. And in case no one knows what a yoga rave is, just think of a yoga class with flashing lights and dancer techno music. (laughs) But I said, give me those 60 minutes and I'll create something awesome for your women of that retreat. And it was an opportunity for me to go, if I could do whatever I want with everything that I've learned, what would I do? And it was this fusion of all those things that has now become sacred dance. And along the lines, the other thing to throw in there is the podcast, which is a big thing for my work. And um, very much like you, when you're just hungry to have these conversations, these open and honest conversations, I'm having them in private. Let me just share them with the world. Mm -hmm. That was the desire for the podcast back in 2013, 2014 now. Yeah. Yeah. I,
1: I feel like very um, satisfied by your story, which is like, maybe a strange <laughs> thing to say, but it's, I feel like sometimes, especially now, you know, with like people's websites and social media and stuff, like it's really easy to just see where they are now, what they're doing now. And, you know, even if like details are given on like an about page or a bio or something, it's really lovely to hear the threads and the building blocks of how something like came together, mm. right? And just the way that you told that story. Like even as it was like building up to the you know the sacred dance practice, and I have more questions about that in a moment, but I just felt this like, oh, okay, then this piece comes in, then this piece comes in, right? The like pole dancing, and then the, like <laughs> I don't know, there's yes. like, something very satisfying about that. And I would imagine for you that feeling of yeah, like all the things come together, right, to equal something that's you know, maybe more fulfilling than the sum of the parts. But I also think it's really easy. To make the story make sense in retrospect, right? Like now it's easy to see this building block, this building block, this one, but it's clear even from the way that you're talking about it, you know, when you went to do the yoga training, you had no idea how that was going to end, right? That was a huge Mm. leap outside the comfort zone. And I feel like that's a really important reminder, you know, for me and for other folks that it all makes sense looking backwards. And yes. there were many times along the way where you were like, mm, fuck, shrug, I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> and there's like just some reminder in that that like eventually it all connects, right? Like if you're pulled to something, if something feels complete and you have the ability to leave, if you're called to something else, even if it doesn't make sense, like just try, just experiment, just like follow the curiosity and see what happens. And like eventually it leads somewhere and probably you can't see where it's going because all you can see is stuff that you've already experienced.
0: Uh. Yes. 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 And it was really interesting and I want to share this because you know it, it is these little moments for people who go, "Oh, yeah, like I've had that moment." Or like, "Ah, oh, okay, that makes sense." But I remember teaching that like my very first sacred dance, not that it was called sacred dance. And oh my god, the woman who came alive teaching I mean, she had literally been asleep for nearly like four or five years. It was the group fitness woman who could, you know, take people higher, like had to use a loud voice, had to crank the music loud. She'd been asleep for four or five years. And suddenly once that loud music started, it was like, oh, she is back and she's alive and she's very much meant to be expressed. She is one of your gifts in the world. She also needed to be asleep for those years because that gave me an opportunity to to learn some new skills. And I've heard this before. I can't remember who said it, but it's in regards to uh, like martial arts or kung fu where the request is always made like you have to forget everything you know in order for me to teach you something new. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, (laughs) I'm going to say that one more time. Like, you have to forget everything you know in order to learn something new, and that's a really important part of the developmental phase, because at some point you then get to integrate it all together. But if you try and short circuit it and integrate it too soon, you don't actually get like the full gifts of the new thing that you're meant to be learning. That is my opinion as a teacher.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, this this is all resonating with me so much. Um, tell me more about sacred dance. And like, I guess, like you said, when you taught the first one, you know, it wasn't known as that yet. And obviously, I know it's something that you are known for now. Tell me more about what the experience is like, what it entails. I know you live very far away from me, but how do I come and do it? (laughs) Tell me
0: everything. (laughs) Yeah. So sacred dance, it is still called sacred dance. That is the name that it has. And I understand, you know, this is, um, generic in that, you know, I, am seeing more and more kind of sacred dance experiences pop up. My particular sacred dance is, I mean, it is a process of transformation and healing. It's been described as incredibly cathartic. It's been described as a way someone even described it as men. That's like a whole shamanic journey. Um, Someone said, holy shit, I've never had so many soul discoveries before in my life and nor have I had so much fun before. But essentially I take women on a journey. It's usually seven stages that we journey through together. And we use some of the best music. You could say it's a combination of like the music, the movement and the mindfulness, which is like the real magic ingredient in my opinion. But the beautiful thing about the experience is it'll meet you wherever you are at. So for some, it might be a really deep um, and spiritual experience. And for others, it might just be a whole lot of fun, but that's because that's what you need at the time I usually teach them once a year because they are currently designed to be like that catalyst. They, (laughs) even myself as the teacher, I always kind of laugh that I'm on the journey with the women too. I kind of just move through it at different stages, but the ripple effects are huge. And I'm just looking at. 2020 is actually a year that I finally do a teacher training component for it because I've had so many requests and up until now it hasn't felt right. I've had lots of questions about, you know, how I would want to structure it. And the other challenging thing is that it's come so easy for me. and But the truth is like this is um, accumulation of all the work that I've done you know, for 15 or so years. So it's taken me a while to actually dissect what is it that I'm doing. So that can then be useful for somebody else who wants to teach this work in the world. Mm -hmm.
1: So you mentioned only once a year, do you have a 2020 date set?
0: Uh, No, not yet. Um, But I am doing private events. So when I say I do it once a year, it's that I A theme will come to me, I'll curate an experience, and then I'll usually do the major cities here in Australia. last time I also did New Zealand. This year I just have private events lined up. So that is someone's hosting a retreat or someone's hosting a festival, someone's hosting something, and they're wanting a very particular experience. So I have one in a couple of weeks um, actually in Byron, and I am actually going to the U.S. in November for one. But I don't have details about that because I'm not quite sure of the how public that event is or if it's part of something else. Got it. Yes, I am going to be in the US. I will be
1: be stalking your website for that. We will be talking about this separately because on the list of things, when you said feeling called to do something like this, I'm very interested in this. So uh, that could be a separate conversation, I guess. But (laughs) um, I want to pivot a bit. Uh, You mentioned that another big element of your work is your podcast. And I would love to ask you about the MILF Life Lessons series that um, either – is it still going?
0: Is it complete? No. Yeah, we finished in December. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I I thought that it had wrapped up.
0: Um, Where did that idea come from? That – try to actually think how that particular one came about. And I'm stalling for a moment. The thing that's coming to mind – I just remember I had this funny conversation with a girlfriend of mine – who, that's right, we're talking, I had a few options. There was a particular series I thought would be really fun too. It was about falling in love with women because that seems really hot at the moment and I knew lots of people that would be willing to talk about their stories and experiences. At the same time, I was also really interested in, you know, talking about this juggle of being the mother, the woman and the lover and a friend just jokingly said, you should totally call this the MILF series because I said, I think I'm going to call it maybe the Sexy Mama series. And um, the moment she said that, I was like, I'm going to call this the MILF series. <laughs> and that's how that actually came about. It was more about, you know, sort of what's, what's hot at the moment in my – and when I say what's hot for me, it's what's hot for me either personally but also with my clients and then, you know, with my friends and also then, you know, what's sort of floating around in my orbit. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Can you share some of what you've learned from those guests and conversations? Like what in particular has really stuck with you from the folks that you've talked to for that series?
0: Mothering is really personal. And I loved that, you know, the women that I interviewed have all gone through their own journey. It is also a big initiation and the time when women ask themselves the big, and I mean the big questions. I also learned that having a child, like we need better postpartum care for women, not just like as the mothers needing to take responsibility for that, but I also think like culturally uh, and the people closest to us, like we need to set up some better support systems for them, for them to really fully heal and I was gonna say, and like return back, that doesn't sound right, but for them to move forward better essentially. So the healing isn't prolonged for so long, and then come like the mental issues and the yada 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 that women then struggle with um when they do become a mum, particularly first-time mum. I also learnt that motherhood is the crux that it's like a fork in the road where where women really question their sexuality on a whole new level. And that was really fascinating just to hear all the different stories for all the different women and what that was like. And just the different ways that people prioritize their relationships and their sex lives—that was really fascinating for me. I'm, I'm really curious. Again, in like those real practical things. Okay, so what do you guys do now that you've got like two kids on the scene? Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. I'm interested, and in, I don't know, like. Uh, how this is related to potentially like the age of becoming a mother, right? I'm sure that's going to be different for different people. But when you mentioned like the shift in sexuality, right around this transition, what was that experience like for you? Like with your own kind of sex and experience of embodiment shifting after becoming a mother.
0: Um, let me wind back. My daughter is 13 turning. on 14. So there's been a lot of time there. I had my sexual awakening with a woman when she was about four. And those first few years for me were trying to unpack desire. What I really struggled with in those early days was you have to remember, 21, 25. So it's quite young.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm trying to navigate marriage and my commitment and love to this man but noticing I'm still attracted to other people. Does this mean I'm in the wrong relationship? Does this mean there's something wrong with me, something wrong with us? And let me just try and like clamp down on this desire that is sponta- spontaneously arising in regards to being attracted to other people because this is bad. But it was actually through that repression And making it mean a whole bunch of things that it didn't actually mean that led to, you know, some serious consequences of how that particularly played out in regards to, like, infidelity and just an understanding of myself. Then came, you know, the sexuality with the woman, which was just a huge awakening and what was possible and a deep, deep love of my body that I didn't have before. But then the real child, and then I would also say during that phase, it it felt really important for me to embrace my sexuality and be really comfortable in it because now I'm leading by example for my daughter. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want her to be ashamed of what is so innate in young girls, so innate. Like she has that, you know, infinity to music just like I did. And I would see her just the way she would move, and it's so innocent, and yet as the adults, we're the ones who place a lot of shit on our kids, and I also recognize though it was probably necessary at a certain point as we were growing up. We're just at an age now like this constant self policing this um, self managing and just you know being very very careful and cautious like that was required to be safe. But it's different times now, and so those particular strategies don't actually work anymore. We need new ones. So I could recognise that. The challenge for me at that particular time with the series was we were entering a phase where my daughter was, you know, obviously going through her own puberty and she was starting high school and she was now on social media. So we were kind of like swimming in the same orbit and um and so were her friends I suddenly felt like the inquiry started again for me in terms of hmm am I okay with how I'm putting myself out there yes and no because for young minds there's no context here (laughs) so is this really I really struggled with the the exploration around that and what that meant. And it was also this interesting moment for me of someone who's fully integrated sexually does not need to then be translated publicly. Like if, if you're withholding yourself in a certain way in the, in the big public sphere, does not mean that you were not like a sexually embodied and, or, you know, that you were carrying shame around your sexuality. In fact, I would say it's the very opposite. It's just there's more intention around what you choose to reveal and not to reveal. And my MILF series came off the back of a kink series. (laughs) So context was super, super, super important, but that was, you know, that was then sort of the next, crux for me of exploration around my sexuality in regards to being a mother.
1: Yeah. That's so interesting. How much do you talk to your daughter about your work?
0: Um, As much as she asks. Yeah.
1: Yeah. that sort of what you said before about now we're both on social media, right? It's like, <laughs> like had a
0: moment of, oh yeah, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she's not anymore. We recently had I mean, as a parent, this is like talk about not knowing what the fuck we're doing and the impact social media is actually having on our children in the long run. But, yeah, we've recently had some, you know, situations arise where it's like no more. Like if you thought the Ming girls hang out at school, like it's, oh, my God, it is the volume has turned up even more. And to think that your child is like plugged in 24 seven to nonsense and drama and how that flows into the school life and then school life into the private life. It's like, (sighs) not anymore. And this is a choice that she actually came to. Like, I'm not jumping on that thing for at least 12 months because I can see the impact it's having on me and my friendships, which is, you know, super wise for her. Yeah. I was going to say good for her. Yeah. 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 Really, really wise. But You know, I'm reading a book at the moment by Steve Bidoff and his book is called Raising Girls in the 21st Century or something like that. And he's one of the big parenting sort of gurus. He's quite prominent in the field. And he also has a book called um, Raising Boys as well. But his take on particularly social media and the internet is – you know, whilst adults, we might use that for a source of entertainment, these young minds are using it as learning and they're learning what is considered normal, mm-hmm. normal behaviour, how they show up, how they think and how they speak. And considering the amount of crap <laughs> that is on there, it's a very terrible, you know, training or education for our children. And, of course, there are implications for that. So, mm. Yeah, well, good for her for making that decision. (laughs)
1: Cannot cannot be easy. I want to go back to something that you were saying um, sounds like in kind of the newly married time, that experience of still being attracted to other people and potentially questioning monogamy. And I guess, you know, like you said, that was quite a while ago. What has that questioning process or, you know, I guess like leaning into that question, where has that led you since?
0: Mm. I have written a really beautiful piece, if I say so myself, on my website. And I will send it to you because I think it was called – I did an intimate with myself series on a variety of topics. And one of them is desire. And I realized a few things about desire at that particular moment, my desire and the way that I was experiencing it and manifesting it, which is like this fixation of somebody else, like there's so much, energy. It's such an erotic charge and I can't, you know, you can't get them out of your head and they're making you feel so alive. It's so new. There's all these amazing elements that have it come so alive. But I realized all my attention is outwards. It is on the object of my desire, which means I'm losing power. If we were to talk about, you know, where's your location of energy? And so all I did was shift my focus of attention from, the person outside of myself who wasn't actually with me at the time. We just kind of drift off in our fantasy mind. (laughs) We can't stop thinking about someone. And suddenly I started to locate the desire within my body. I started to become intimate with the experience of desire. And that's exactly what that piece is. And what I noticed when I allowed myself to fully experience desire without cutting it short or interrupting it with like the fear of what does this mean and what am I, like what if this were, if I were to allow myself to actually do this, like what would be the implications of that? All of that nonsense. If I just came back to the experience and gave myself full permission to feel it in the safety of my own home, on my own, what would happen? And it was purely like just this release of amazing energy. It was like just being like plugging into the charger or the PowerPoint and just feeling your battery charge up. That's what it was like in my body. And the moment I did that, it was like any kind of attachments or cords that I was having with the other person just dropped away because I was no longer seeking something outside of me. Suddenly I could self-source it. It was like so powerful. Um, And I've also learned, you know, we don't actually... Choose desire. We don't desire is this spontaneous arising within us. It, it like chooses you. Our job, though, um is to get clear on um because that's the other thing that comes with the desire is also not just what you want but also what you don't want, and it can come in very, very quickly, particularly when that desire is so potent. Part of our job is to discern then and unpack and untangle what we don't want from what we do want. And that's a really beautiful creative process to go through.
1: Yeah. It's like another example. And uh, there have been many since you've you know, been sharing that kind of the getting out of the head and into the body, right? Not the thinking of like, what does it mean that I feel this way? What's going to happen if I act in it, right? That, and like dropping into a more physical body experience of that desire.
0: Absolutely.
1: Oh, yes, for the overthinkers
0: among us like me, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and look, uh, it's a really important thing in regards to like relating with others because, you know, back then as well, a really prominent conversation happening was uh, like, and this is sort of like month some circle of friends, we're talking about when they got married or they're in that committed relationship, how they suddenly started shifting their own behavior with how they related to other people. And the discernment I was doing or the inquiry was around like, what is just a general heart to heart connection with someone versus like this real sexual chemistry? Like where, where's the lines in that and how are we just purely repressing that beautiful connection that we could have with someone or is something else happening? So I, I was, I'm really curious in like those particular nuances, particularly when it comes to women. Then, like closing themselves down and repressing something that just naturally wants to be moving through them.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, so that makes me want to ask you what that looks like for you now is when you were talking about potentially like behavior modification while within, you know, our relationship or everything that you just mentioned um, that others were sharing with you, what does that look like for
0: you now? Integrity. That looks like me being just so deeply attuned with my own energy and so intentional with how I share that with other people in particular interactions. It means I can easily pick up when an interaction has started to become sexual and then choose whether or not I keep participating in that or not. I can also just choose or notice when it's just a pure heart connection and, you know, the permission of allowing us to have that particular exchange. It is so liberating. (laughs) So liberating.
1: Yeah. I mean, the noticing, right? Like giving yourself permission to like name what's there. I feel like that can be really empowering too.
0: Absolutely.
1: I want to go back to, you mentioned that before the MILF Life Lessons series that you did a kink series. And it sounds like, um, and of course, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you are similar to me in that you're kind of like following your own curiosity with your work. Um, And obviously, you know, curiosity is over your clients. Do you remember what led into deciding to do a kink series?
0: Oh, what was the catalyst for that? Oh, yes. So one of the big things that I absolutely love is it's called the erotic blueprints. And this is a framework by her name is Jaya. She's a somatic sexologist. And I partner with her every year to promote this body of work, because I think every couple must, must use this and know about this. But she says, Um, Think of it as it is like the love languages, but for your arousal Mm. and turn on. And there are five different types. There's the energetic, the sensual, the sexual, the kinky, and then the shapeshifter, which is a hybrid of all of them. When you understand what is your primary source of turn on and then also your secondary and you know that for your partner, you guys are better able to speak each other's languages and fill each other up erotically in a way that actually has you feel fed and nourished and so i became really interested with the kink because well it was part i'm i'm an energetic shapeshifter but it was one i hadn't really lent into it was one i had a lot of misunderstandings about Um, and I, I just knew there was some gold there for me. And so as always, I lean in and then I just share it with everybody else.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like the moment we're done with this conversation, I'm like, I'm going to Google this erotic blueprints because that sounds fascinating. And I haven't checked out the episodes in your kink series yet. Is there any one in particular that, you know, either I could link to in the show notes or that, you know, if people are interested that you would say, oh, listen to that one first.
0: Hmm. I'm going to say pull up the kink series and it's a short series. I think there might only be nine or so episodes and to see where you're intuitive, intuitively led and start with that one. Mm,
1: I love that. Okay. I can put yeah. a link to the whole series. So it sounds like for you that leaning into this was more like, a, Oh, I actually don't know that much about this potentially have some misconceptions. What do, if, did you have like one or two, takeaways either things like ooh i want to integrate that into my life or oh i thought you know x and was wrong or something like that yes
0: i hmm i would say i'm just thinking back to that particular series i would now say that kink can be like an incredible source of healing for couples it's a very powerful and fun playground for couples because um, and at least for me was I really wanted to play more with embodying um, like this, this dominance and surrender. And for me, it was more the surrender. I was really leaning into, you know, expanding my capacity to receive, to surrender and to be led by somebody else. And so kink became a fun playground to actually embody those things. And again, I mentioned this earlier in terms of, um, like when you're accessing energies in your body and then they're released and it's such a fuel for you, that is the same thing when you start exploring kink because you might start to bump up against, um, in particular, your shame mm-hmm. or your and whatever that is. And shame only becomes toxic the more it stays secret. And so there are really beautiful and playful ways to liberate that, to transmute that and for that to become power. So I I just, I'm in love with the realm of kink these days.
1: Yeah. Yes. I love it. It's all so good. Um, There are a couple of random things that I want to ask you, like either miscellaneous notes that I made when I was going through your work or things that aren't necessarily like, you know, big topics on their own, but kind of like a grab bag of random things, if (laughs) you're okay with that. Go Um, for it. I wanted to ask, uh, recently on Instagram, you were talking about sort of hot sex versus warm sex. Will you Mm. explain
0: that and talk about that a bit? Mm. Well... We can get caught up in needing to have hot sex all the time, and I think it's even important for people to clarify like well what what is your definition of of hot sex? Um, I'm always big on definitions, particularly with couples, because we might not have we might not be talking about the same thing even though we're using the same language, so it's always really important, but what I have found is like this pursuit of needing things to be hot and passionate and raw and like full blown, like amazingness. And if it's not, then something's up or like we need to work on it. But that just really at the end of the day creates a shitload of pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, right, I'm like necessary... how do you live up to that? Like, it's, yeah. Right. Um, and the kind of pressure that's um, like, so not sexy. <laughs> no one wants to do you know, anything with that. And so I think cultivating the warm sex, and for me that could be, again, get clear on what warm sex means, but in that particular post, this is about the way I describe it as like keeping the erotic energy alive, just keep the flame, you know, kindling to some degree. And that could be, you know, through intentional affection or through another means of, um, Of of nourishing each other. Again, this is why I also love the erotic blueprints, because you can, you know, is your cup full? What does that actually look like? What can I actually do for that? And when there's when that's happening, you are sustaining like a better bond or a longer bond in that particular case. And you are actually creating more opportunities for then hot sex to arise spontaneously if that were to happen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love that. Um, Yeah. I appreciated that post. So I wanted to bring that up. And then the other two kind of like small things um, like related to your work, I wanted to say how much I appreciated the short blog post that you did on the three awesome alternatives to mainstream porn, Mm -hmm. uh, which led me to the site X confessions, which I hadn't seen before. So thank you for that because that's
0: incredible. Yeah. Erica lust is amazing. Yes. Yeah. And I watched a couple of
1: the trailers right when I saw it um, like from your site. And I'm like, mm-hmm, yep, yeah, okay, I will be spending more time on this site. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I will add, you know, for anyone who might end up navigating their way over there, um, there is another one that I would add. Like Erica Luss' work is very artistic. It's very artistic. Uh, there's another one. And, in fact, one of your previous guests, Claire Baker, she was the one who told me about this one, is – it could be called frolic me, or anaphrolic. frolic, and again I can send this to you so it's clear for everyone. And I find it is more—the easiest way to describe it is—it's more of your. It's like a really classy, luxurious form of pornography. Okay. So I would say Erica Lust sits in like this artistic expression of the sexual realm and then anna um i think it's anna the frolic me one is it's just a super classy luxurious pornography Mm. yeah
1: i love well we are gonna have great show notes and great roundup (laughs) of links from this and one more thing to add to that do you have a favorite sex toy
0: i was instinctively about to say i'm actually not a fan of sex toys but it's because my mind went straight to vibrators um, and I'm not a fan of vibrators only because I believe they desensitize women, which I'm all for resensitizing women. <laughs> so we sit on different spectrums in that sense. Um, but I love a beautiful blindfold, blindfold. Um, and I also love our massage table. Mm. Yeah, I
1: like the kind of reframe of that when you said I was going to say I'm not into that because you associate it with just one thing. It's like really helpful, like a helpful reminder to zoom out to be like sex toys don't have to just be what you maybe immediately think that they are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm.
1: Before we start to wrap up, is there anything that hasn't come up yet in this conversation that you wanted to make sure that you mentioned?
0: No, this conversation has been so rich and so diverse. I think we've covered all the things.
1: Well, fabulous. The way that we end these episodes are with a series of eight community questions. So all three guests this month are answering the same eight questions. If you are down to do a little rapid fire, completely unrelated to everything that we've talked about (laughs) question session. Brilliant. Bring it on. How are you taking care of yourself lately? What does that look like?
0: Hmm. Starting my day right, which usually looks like a walk or a bike ride down to the beach. We usually grab, um, it's always with my partner, sometimes with my daughter as well. And we will grab, I do the chai, he does the coffee and we'll sit on the beach or go for a walk on the beach and a swim, particularly when the water's beautiful. And today we were very fortunate to have dolphins this morning. So, That's like so picture perfect. I love it. What are
1: some of your favorite ways to show up and care for the people that you love?
0: Hmm. To be really present with them when they are in my presence. So that looks like, you know, phones away and actually physically engaging with them. The other thing I love to do is cook for them. Like nothing brings me greater joy than I could spend a whole day in the kitchen knowing I'm prepping a beautiful meal the people that I love. Um, and I am also known to send really beautiful messages or leave notes for the people that I love too.
1: What's a goal or project that you're currently working on?
0: A project, the money and partnerships podcast is the most immediate one. And then the bigger one is the teacher training component for the sacred dance.
1: Yeah. What's your recommendation for something to binge watch?
0: Oh, to binge watch. Um, I'm going to say sex education. That was the first thing that came to me, probably because we have been talking about sex so much, and particularly if you have kids. It is brilliant.
1: Yeah, I loved it. I very much binge-watched that. I was late to it. Um, I think I started it when the second season was already out, and yes, binged it very hard, so (laughs) full agree on that. Um, So you mentioned cooking before. If you're having people over for a little dinner gathering, what's your favorite go-to recipe or meal to make?
0: Oh... I actually don't have a go-to. For me, I notice, I find that it's like my opportunity to be really creative and I tend to cook things that I haven't cooked before, which is sometimes a little bit ballsy. Uh, But if I had to choose more of like a favourite meal, I love doing slow-cooked lamb shanks.
1: I'm the same as you of using like having people over as an excuse to like make something totally new, which always adds extra stress. Cause I'm like, "Why well, I have no idea if this is going to turn out well. And yet it <laughs> seems like the perfect opportunity to try something. So <laughs> I guess, um, what's something in your life that did not go according to plan, but that in retrospect, you are grateful for.
0: Ooh, what is something in my life that did not go to plan? Um, Well, I guess my first marriage.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've talked about a couple in this conversation, I'm sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So the next question is about books, which two or three books, any type of book, any genre at all, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you find yourself recommending or even rereading most often?
0: Oh, I have so many books. And if I had to limit it to two, I'm naturally feeling the constraint (laughs) But I would say, uh, the new rules of marriage by Terry Reel is a book I recommend often to people in relationship. Don't even have to be married. It is freaking brilliant. And I have interviewed him before, but it's like a, a new Bible of how to do relationships. And the other one I want to say, because this has such a huge impact on, um, my listeners is, Deeper Dating by a guy called Ken Page and this book seems to be the one that has truly transformed the love lives of more women than I can count. I
1: love that. I haven't heard of either of those books. So I, yeah, New Rules of Marriage in particular is like of a lot of interest to me. So I appreciate the recommendations. Last question. If you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a
0: small action to take? Mm, A call to action would be, I'm going to say dance. Mm. Dance every day if you possibly can. and Dance to anything that brings you joy.
1: Do you have a, a go to favorite, like personal dance party song right now? Oh my God, no.
0: <laughs> You're like asking me the impossible question. <laughs> <laughs> Just one. Um, I don't have a song that's on repeat at the moment purely because I am currently in like the curation mode for an event that's happening next weekend. So I'm listening to all the music but i will tell you what i just listened to actually before i jumped on the call yes so we can give them something specific let me quickly pull it up because it's a brand new song i only found it last night it is called things are changing and it is by gone gone beyond And I think there's a few other featuring artists there, but that's the one that's coming up right now when I look at it.
2: Yeah,
1: I love that. I'm always looking for new dance party songs. So that is perfect. Um, What is the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a particular favorite
0: way to connect with new folks? Um, Yes, that is Instagram at Susanna And otherwise, you can find me online at my website or in my inbox, which all the details will be there as well.
1: Perfect. I will put links to all of that and everything else in the show notes. Susanna, thank you so much. Oh,
0: thank you for having me.
1: And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for just being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I want to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show, and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could on my own. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Carly. Hi, Carly. Hello. So we're going to do a round of rapid-fire questions if you're ready. I am ready. What's your favorite pick me up or self care activity after a hard day?
2: Ooh, this is kind of basic, but I'm I'm a yoga person. I really enjoy either like going to a class or just taking a minute at, in my apartment and breathing and like getting myself grounded and remembering that I can just have that time for me. So
1: mm-hmm. yeah, and I mean, I
2: really need it. Yeah.
1: It's funny that you're like, this is kind of basic. I feel like all the things that really work are sometimes like the simplest, you know, right? like, sometimes the most boring things.
2: Yeah, it's true. And I know that, I mean, like that's the the cue usually when you're in a class and the teacher says, you know, you made it here and like, that's that's the hardest part. And it's like that, that necessary moment in my brain to say, oh yeah, wait, I did all those things and I made it here and now this is just where I can let it all go. And that's just, it's been really helpful.
1: Yeah. What are a few of the qualities that you most look for in friendships? Ooh,
2: I, well, trust. I think, I mean, I I say trust. I actually, I look for people who like don't take themselves too seriously. And I say that because I'm someone who I think like grew up always taking everything very seriously. So I like see in other people that, I don't know, um, ability to just let things go. Like I, I don't do well with friends who get irritated when you don't text them back right away or like require a lot of hand holding when it comes to that like constant feel of like of making sure they know that you care about them. Like I feel like I am an open enough person and a like raw enough person that if if we're friends you should just you you know that I love you and there's not a lot of follow up in that. If that
1: makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I really relate to what you said at the beginning about like gravitating towards people who don't take themselves as seriously, I feel like I'm someone who really defaults into like being quite serious, which is fine, right? Like there's nothing wrong with that. But it really is nice to balance that out with, you know, people who are more inclined to be silly and to take
2: things a little bit lighter. Yeah. And they let you kind of like, you know, take that armor off when I'm around my friends. They're like, oh, yeah, like they don't put up with my BS, right? They're kind of like, okay, like we're here to we're here to just like, not worry about those things or that seems serious but like let's just enjoy each other's company and i say that and i also have very dear friends that can sit with me in like deep times of need <laughs> and struggle and frustration but
1: yeah and i mean i don't think those are mutually exclusive right that can easily be the same person yeah
2: totally what's something that makes you feel really loved so i'm like a love language person so i'm and i'm very aware that i that words are my love language and so uh when someone can communicate with me clearly on their feelings. I am like, I just, I feel like wrapped in a hug, um, but that also can, can be a terrible thing because I can be getting really disingenuous compliments and be like, you're my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do, I think that when people are expressing themselves and telling me things or, or, or feeling like they are in a safe enough space with me where they can really express themselves and I feel like like I am loved in the same way that I'm giving them, Um, attention that I think they deserve for sharing that
1: what makes you come alive like what are you doing when you feel most alive most like yourself
2: oh gosh I'm outside Um, I am a nature person so I'm like a probably I live in a big city but uh, I'm like a forest trees running person so anything outdoors I always say to friends of mine like getting into like big nature to like make like remind me that I'm Small, basically, like when everything is crazy or things are stressful, if you're in a place in the environment where you're like, all of this is going to happen, whether or not I like send that email or whether or not I like get back to that person or, or like go on that run or whatever, like this nature is happening every day. So definitely, definitely big nature. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, I can relate to that too. Last question What's one topic that you would love to hear more conversation about on the podcast later this year?
2: Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I think I, I shouldn't say that. That's not that hard. I, I think it would be interesting to hear people talk about, like how they're relating to people in the political climate now that they don't necessarily have the same views as. Like, I think mm. that there's this, like, we're having this moment of miscommunication where we feel like we're further from each other than we actually are so I would love to know like how people are communicating with loved ones that don't see the same um have the same views as them or you know how they're parts of groups or communities where maybe they don't have the same views like just how people are navigating what I am seeing as like this new climate of like of discomfort in in our differences
1: yeah, that's a great suggestion. I just wrote that down as soon as he said that. I'm like, yeah, that, that's a great topic. So thank you for that. <laughs> Absolutely. So you're a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you've made a small and powerful reoccurring per episode pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show and paying the guests. I would love for you to share why you decided to support the show.
2: Uh, Yeah, I so I've been listening for a couple years. And I'm a small business owner, I'm a creative person. And I, this past year decided, or I guess the start of this year decided that I should kind of like pay it forward and people that were creating things that I enjoy, I should show them that. So I decided to join (laughs) the community. So basically to say thanks for, for like creating something that has brought me joy uh, over the years.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate that. And it's been interesting for me since doing this podcast in this way, right? Doing this sort of business with this particular like business model, funding model has really changed me as a consumer of other people's creative work, right? Whether that's, Mm -hmm. like you said, kind of thinking about paying it forward or, you know, whose newsletter am I always so excited to open? Like, is there a way to support that monetarily? You know, if not, are there, is there a way to make sure I'm leaving reviews for things? It's, I don't know, it's been like a really nice shift for me and how I've been thinking about um, the things that, you know, educate me and bring me joy.
2: Yep, Absolutely.
1: Um, do you want to share where you live and maybe a social media link uh, so folks can say hi?
2: Sure. I live in Chicago. It's a wonderful place. (laughs) And I, I guess my personal social media, I'm, I'm mostly on Instagram and it's at Miss Pearlman. So now everyone knows my last name and it's mostly photos of the city and my partner and nature, (laughs) but, um. I do have a small business. We just really don't have an Instagram set up or any of that.
1: Well, that is totally fine. I love that. Also, like pictures of where you live and (laughs) nature and your partner. Like, is that just that's that's what Instagram's (laughs) for, isn't it? (laughs)
2: There are the Um, things that I love.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. I love it. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want lots of bonus content, plus other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $1 or more per episode. Your support is what allows the show to continue. And it'll be a lot of fun to get to talk to you, to get to know you better after you've joined our community. So until next time, here is a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this